Welcome to Behind the Curtain, where we take a closer look at the issues of the day that you might not hear about from the mainstream media. We talk with people who know what's behind the smokescreen of what they want you to see and what's really going on. People whose expertise gives an inside view of the issues that are important to all of us. I'm your host, Jackie Guzda. So today we have Jeremy Stein. He is the executive director of Connecticut Against Gun Violence. Stein's a seasoned litigator with over 20 years of experience. His interest in fighting gun violence began early in his career when he served as a prosecutor with the criminal division of the Attorney General's Office of the District of Columbia. Stein handled many gun-related cases, working closely with the ATF, FBI, Secret Service, Capitol Police, and the Metropolitan Police. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. So let's talk a little bit about Connecticut Against Gun Violence. You have several points on your website about your mission. You want to talk about those? Sure. I mean, our mission is really simple, and it is to reduce gun violence in the state of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we do that um, a, in, into a large percentage of what we do is uh, we look to pass common sense gun laws. Uh, in the state of Connecticut. Um, and while we do support um, federal uh, initiatives to also pass uh, national gun laws, our focus tends to be more on what we can do in Connecticut. Um, we have led the way in the country in doing this. Mm -hmm. um, many states have looked at the Connecticut model to try to s reduce gun violence. And as a result, Connecticut has some of the lowest gun death rates in the country. Wow. Even though I mean, one of the shocking facts is that it's gun violence is the second leading cause of death for children and teens in Connecticut. And that's the way it is everywhere in the country. Um, that is the sad reality that has happened with our country is that um, more kids die from gun violence than other forms of disease. Um, mm. And... Um, and it's really troubling, and we really need to do something about it. And that's one of the things that we try to do is to make sure that this is considered a health crisis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, gun gun deaths in our country, gun shootings in our country should be considered something akin to any other disease that kills children or adults or mm -hmm. or women. Um, and we need to really address this as if these, this were any other epidemic, because, um, you know, every day in our country, just about 100 people die from gun violence. Mm. Now, most of those are suicides, correct? Two-thirds of all gun deaths are suicides. Yes, mm -hmm. that is correct. And so we do focus on that as well. Um, you know, we recently um, lost um, Jeremy Richmond. Um, who was a uh, parent of uh, one of the um, children who died in Sandy Hook. Um, he founded the Aviel Foundation with his wife to, to address um, uh, mental health issues, um, and he recently took his own life. Um, so it's not even just about the – it's not always just about suicides that are committed by guns, uh, but we are also learning that gun violence has – um, a long lifespan. People deal with gun violence. You know, we concentrate on shootings and deaths and things like that, but gun violence may have a bigger and long-term toll. The kids 
people that have been exposed to gun violence, even the survivors of gun violence in in our cities, um, kids that are exposed to shootings every day who have to deal with shootings every day, walking across yellow tape, um, you know, across their communities from people who've been shot. Like this is this is taking a toll on them. This is something akin to what soldiers experience uh, when they experience post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm, yeah. So you know, you had mentioned um, one of the the parents of a Sandy Hook child, and when we had Sandy Hook. It was said that this is it. This is the the mass shooting that's going to make the difference, and it hasn't. Now, in New Zealand, they had the mosque shooting just a bit, in just a while ago. There were 49 dead, including a three-year-old who reportedly walked towards the shooter. I want to play you a little clip now of the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, and uh, then we'll get your take on it. Today I'm announcing that New Zealand will ban all military-style semi-automatic weapons. We will also ban all assault rifles. In short, every semi-automatic weapon used in the terrorist attack on Friday will be banned in this country. So here we have, uh, you know, the ma biggest mass shooting in New Zealand. And within one week, they banned semi-automatic rifles and, and uh, semi-automatic weapons. Why can't we move on this issue in the United States? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I would like the answer to that as well. Why can't we move on this on a national level? Um, after Sandy Hook, Connecticut took action. We passed um, Senate Bill 1160. We banned assault weapons. We banned high-capacity magazines. We uh, made it so that every purchase of a handgun has to have a permit, has to have training, has to have a background check. It was one of the toughest and strictest laws that was ever passed, and even to this day, it still is one of the strictest laws. Um, we were unable to do anything at the federal level, and it is it is shocking. It is upsetting, and New Zealand did in six days what we couldn't do in six years and still haven't done. That's right. So who's getting in the way of this happening on a federal level? Well, I think a big part of this is the NRA. Mm -hmm. um, and and other lobbying groups like uh, and organizations like the National Sports Shooting Federation. These are organizations that spend a lot of money on the gun industry. They spend a lot of money on getting politicians that are going to be kind to the gun industry. In fact, just recently, the NRA has come out uh, against the uh, victims, um, um, the um, uh, latest bill that is being introduced, uh, Violence Against Women's Act, excuse right. me. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the uh, VAWA Act, the Violence Against Women's Act, which they're trying to um, pass in the uh, in Congress, and mm -hmm. they, the NRA has come out against a bill that would protect victims of domestic violence um, against perpetrators of violence and would prevent them from having guns. Um, right now in the United States, we have it's just about every 16 hours somebody dies from domestic violence. Mm. Are um, they really that powerful, the NRA? 
Well, um, they have been able to stop. Uh, they have been able to put people in office who are A plus rated uh, by the NRA. They mm-hmm. have spent a lot of money on getting politicians in office. And there are politicians that refuse to pass common sense gun laws that are in place to protect our public. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things that we've seen happen is um, uh, here in Connecticut, um, we have um, we are trying to pass a safer storage law. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and we have had members of the NRA come out against a safe storage law. Now, the NRA publishes um, they publish manuals. Uh, in fact, if you want to get a permit in Connecticut, if you want to get a gun permit in, in the state of Connecticut, you have to take a training course. The NRA is the only organization that can, that can teach you that course in the state of Connecticut. It's actually written into the language. Okay. So that's a pretty powerful thing, that you have one organization who is responsible for um, for, for ensuring the safety of everyone who applies for a permit, whoever, anyone who takes a course to learn how to use a gun safely. And you have one organization whose prime goal right now is to make sure that as many guns as possible get into as many hands of Americans as possible. Um, they, may have, they, they used to be an organization whose prime goal was gun safety, but that is long gone. Now all right. they want to do is push their agenda to get more guns in, into the hands of more Americans. Hmm. I, you know, I was shocked when I originally found that out, that the NRA was established for gun safety itself. That's right. So what's, what's their major motivator, ma- motivator now? Is, is it solely profit and power? One would have to assume so. Um, because if you oppose a law that is designed to protect victims of domestic violence, I mean, and, and the response that they've had as to why they're opposing it is that they feel that it is a mistake to pass a law to take guns away from people, people who are convicted of domestic violence, people who are accused of domestic violence, people that beat their spouses and girlfriends and domestic partners. Um, and, and the reason why is that they say the, that they think the solution is to arm the victims of domestic violence. Mm. So their response is to create more gun violence less than less gun violence. Now they'll argue that is that. the only that is the only response that 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 can, that can end up with putting guns in the hands of people who are victims of domestic violence is to make a already volatile situation even more volatile and lethal. Putting guns into the hands of 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 more people in those situations will only mean that more people will die from gun violence. Mm, I know that, because that yeah. is not a good solution. Right, because as um, as a college professor, it has been discussed that I should have a gun. I wouldn't know what to, the first thing to do with it if somebody yeah. came in and with an automatic rifle and started to shoot. Well, you know, somebody once drew an analogy for me. This is someone who um, actually trains uh, the police and mm-hmm. the military on very high-end um, uh uh, defensive use of guns. And what he said was, the analogy he tells people all the time is when you have a professional baseball player and they are um, trying to hit a, let's say, a split-fingered fastball or a 90-mile-an-hour-plus fastball, like how do they hit it and get a hit? 
Like, how is it that they do that? And the way they do that is they practice four or five hours a day in a batting cage every day. They're in a real game situation. They see those types of pitches, and then they go back in the batting cages for another couple of hours, and they train over and over and over. The police, they are only forced to qualify twice a year, and in some departments only once a year. And as a result, um, even the police are only hitting their target um, less than 20% of the time in those dif- in those shooter situations. Um, so, so even having police officers isn't going to be 100% um, fix for a, a shooter. We we also what we saw in the um, synagogue shooting. Right. Uh, the police knew that they were going into an active shooter situation. Like they had the advantage of surprise on the shooter. Mm-hmm. They knew where they knew what they were getting into. They knew somebody had weapons and they knew they were shooting. Yet police officers were still shot. Police mm. officers were still, you know, mm-hmm. were, were almost fatally injured as a result of of going into a known situation with an active shooter. How would a teacher possibly re- react in right. that situation? Um, we've seen time and time again, and most recently, we just saw someone, a teacher, was in a school, or, or actually, it was a, sorry, it was a resource officer who was taking out his gun and accidentally shot his gun inside the school. Um, police officers have told us time and time again how confusing it would be if they go into an active shooter situation. They're trying to find the gunman, and then they see three teachers um, roaming the hallways all armed. Like, how would they know who the shooter is, who the, you know, quote-unquote good guy with a gun is? Right. That's a farce. Sure. Yeah. I mean, God knows it wouldn't be me. So, (laughs) right. So... So here's the thing. There are so many people that accept that kind of logic, that teachers should be armed, that, you know, workers in, uh, you know, public places should be armed. Why do you think when organizations like yours come across and say, you know, look at the stats, 20 percent of the police hit their targets in an active shooter situation. Why do people still why do they still buy the argument that the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun? Well, I think people have stopped actually looking at statistics. I think this has become more of a tribal issue, almost like a religion to some people. Um, and I think people who you know, subscribe to a religion or a tribe, they're not looking at statistics, mm-hmm. right? They, they have a belief that they are safer with a gun, despite what the statistics say and show otherwise. I mean, what we know from statistics is that that if you have a gun, like as a, a citizen, a normal citizen, as a police officer, the likelihood of you defending yourself in, in, in any type of defensive situation with a gun is less than 1%. What? Yes. If you have a gun in the house, uh-huh. the chances of an accidental shooting or homicide or a child getting access to an or or suicide are somewhere between three and five percent and sometimes ten percent. So we know that the likelihood of something bad happening with a gun, mm-hmm. whether it's suicide, accident, or um, or school shooting, you know, someone getting your gun and, and bringing it to school, which just happened in uh, in Long Island. Right. Student, um, a student brought a gun from his home into into school. Um, 
it is much greater chance that something awful will happen as a result of that of you having that gun than it is that you're going to use that gun in in defensive situations. So, what we try to tell people is, you know, we try to show them the fact. Um, and and let me get this. I mean, I want to explain something. We are not trying to interfere with someone's rights or you know, if you go through the proper training and store your gun and are a responsible gun owner, if you feel that you are, if you feel you're safer with a gun and you want to have a gun and you jump through all the hoops to get that gun, we're not trying to interfere with that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to make it clear that it's not really about, um, it's not about making you safer because having a gun, we've seen from study after study of study, that guns do not make us safer. Guns make us less safe. And arming teachers, as you just described, would only make our students less safe. Mm. So what can we, the, the listener to this podcast or, you know, just the normal person who's on your side of the issue, what actions can we take? So right now in Connecticut, we have four gun bills. Uh, that are all designed um, around gun safety. Um, and the, the three main bills, which are Senate, uh, sorry, excuse me, House Bill um, 7218, which is also known as Ethan's Law, which is a safe storage in the House bill. Uh, there is 7219, which is a ban on ghost guns, which are guns that you can order online without a uh, serial number, without any type of identifying mark, uh, untraceable, uh, that you can order without any background check or permit. We would want to make sure people can't do that. We want to close that loophole. Uh, And then uh, House Bill 7223, which is a, a bill that would require people to lock their guns if, um, and prohibit them from leaving a gun in an unattended vehicle. Mm-hmm. We're seeing time and time again that um, people are breaking into cars. Uh, oftentimes the cars are not even locked, and then they're finding guns that people are leaving in their vehicles, mm-hmm. and those guns end up in our cities and being used in crimes. So mm-hmm. you, we can, you know, what, we, what we need most is people to support those bills. Write your elected official. Tell them to pass these bills. Tell them to vote for these bills. These are common sense gun safety laws. You can help us by coming to the Capitol and lobbying for these bills um, when it's time to vote in the House or the Senate. Mm -hmm. Um, Write an editorial um, demanding um, that that the state take action to close these dangerous loopholes. Um, you can invite us to your house to speak on these issues just like I'm doing right now, hmm. and we'd be happy to come to any school or really? church or synagogue or mosque or home mm-hmm. uh, and discuss these issues in a more intimate setting um, because a lot of this is about in, about education. Um, and then at the end of the day, we ask people to vote. We ask people to go out and vote and to elect those people that that take gun violence seriously that this is an important issue for them um, because at the end, we really need elected officials in office that are going to pass common sense gun laws. Hmm. 
So apart from legislation, and, and those all sound like terrific suggestions, is there anything else, say, for instance, uh, younger people who can't vote yet? Is there anything they can do to take action or, you know, community groups, things like that? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we're talking about all this legislation. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do want to point out that we are trying to get people to be who are gun owners to be responsible donors, like make sure you're locking up these weapons so they don't end up in the hands of children or prohibited people that shouldn't have them. But with young people, we have seen a tremendous uh, movement in this country. Um, you know, we, we saw it after Parkland's. Um, with uh, the organizations like March for Our Lives. And uh, we've seen young people run for office, um, you know, and also, you know, young people form organizations and march and get out into the streets and shout that they demand change because, after all, it's our youth that are most affected by what's happening right now. I mean, they are the ones that are going to have to inherit this earth, mm -hmm. and they're the ones that go to school every day in fear that they may not come home. And it's not just kids in the suburbs. It's kids in our cities as well, kids that not only have to worry about what happens in school, but kids that have to worry about gun violence on their way home, you know, kids that are in New Haven and Bridgeport and, and – um, and Hartford, who deal with urban gun violence every day. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is important for those kids to come out and help our organization or any organization uh, that wants to try to end gun violence um, because their voices matter too. And we want to make sure that, that, that young people understand that their voices are important and they need to be heard as well. They certainly do. Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for sharing this information with us today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Okay, take care. Take care. This has been Behind the Curtain, a conversation about the issues that affect our lives. Behind the Curtain is produced under the auspices of Western Connecticut State University. Come back and listen. There's a new show at the start and the middle of every month. I'm Jackie Gusta. Talk to you soon.